Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. Job search experts have stated that fall is the final hiring spree of the year, meaning that there's going to be a lot of job openings that are available in the marketplace as companies are trying to utilize all their resources to fill positions that they have budget for before the budget closes for the year. With that being said, that means that there is opportunities for you, the listener, to find another opportunity that you're looking to move to from your current job. The big issue that I've seen for professionals looking to move to another opportunity is how to go about doing it and if leaving their current job is actually the right move. So to provide more expertise and insight on this topic, I have brought on Jennifer Hocutt, who will be discussing when to leave your current job and crafting the perfect exit strategy so you can pivot seamlessly into your next job opportunity. So a little bit about Jennifer, she launched J. Hocutt Group LLC in 2018, and she focuses on rescuing clients from professional isolation. She works with clients to successfully motivate them towards becoming the CEOs in their career, reigniting engagement and achieving ultimate professional success while challenging audiences to explore their own path to greatness and take action through public speaking and corporate training events. She takes pride in being a small town Midwestern girl raised on hard work and Ovaltine. Her life's purpose is to help others step into the highest version of themselves while writing their own story of success. Now let's get into my discussion with Jennifer on when to leave your current job and crafting an exit strategy to find your next job opportunity that you'll love. Hey Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hey there, thanks for having me. How's your week so far? It's going good. It's only Wednesday, so still have some time to make it a great week. Hectic and busy, but never a bad thing. Well, they say Wednesday's hump day, right? So hopefully it doesn't go downward. It keeps going upward till like the Friday and weekend, right? Right, exactly. This is where you do your check-in and say, oh, I got so much done or holy moly, I got so much more to do. (laughs) So again, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And we are in the middle of September as of this recording. And a lot of people are trying to get back into the groove of things in terms of like whether it's like, I know some places you, you can go back to the office. I know a good amount of uh, areas right now you can go back to school. So with all that being said, people are trying to work in what we call the new normal. However, there are a lot of professionals that did a lot of self-reflection in the past year, year and a half, and they want to make a change, but they feel stuck in terms of how to make that change. So you're also probably aware that there's this a term going on in the past few months about the great resignation, where there's a huge percentage of professionals wanting to leave their current place of work. So yes. why is all this like coming about during the pandemic? Because like people have left jobs like throughout the history of time, right? Like people mm-hmm. don't like something and then they end up doing something else. But why is this such a big deal now? Well, from my perspective, what I'm seeing is when we had the pandemic, the great pause, people's mindset shifted. 
So they, what was important to them at one point in growing their career or compensation, titles, going up the corporate ladder, whatever success looked like for individuals, I noticed that there was a great shift that took place because this is something unprecedented. We had never been through this. Nobody really knew how to navigate it. Nobody really understood what was going to happen, how we were going to come out on the end. And we still are caught up in this whirlwind of, what is the new normal? I don't even think there is such a thing as new normal. We're very resilient people. But for a lot of my clients, what I've noticed is they've had a shift in what was really important to them at one point in their career and in their lives. And it's changed to something totally different, which happens. It happens to the best of us. We have a tendency to change careers throughout several times throughout our lifetime. And I know that I have done it. Different priorities have come about that have shifted and I've just changed trajectory. And I think the pandemic, it just is something that happened globally. And for a lot of people, we took a step back, we reevaluated what really matters in our lives. And let's just be honest. I mean, the corporate environment can be really cutthroat. People were not happy in their jobs before, but we kind of just stayed with it because we needed the you know, income and we needed to support our families and our lifestyle. And we the things that matter, we needed our career to help us get to what um, success looked like for us. But that really all changed. We were working from home and we realized that we can be really productive and get a lot of things done without being location dependent. People packed up and tried to make the best of it. People went on adventures. They spent time with family. So I think people came back and said, you know, they held up the uh, red flag and said, listen, these things are different. This is what matters to me now. And this is what I want my life to look like going forward. And that didn't always align with where they were currently in their career. So can you provide a few examples with your current and past clients where they reached out to you say, hey, Jennifer, I'm looking to make a change. Again, what were some of the main reasons that they wanted to make a change and wanted your help with it? Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote a blog post, 10 Reasons to Leave Your Job and Never Look Back, because what I find is people want permission. They want validation. They want to know that they're on the right track and this is a valid reason to leave their position. And although there's 10 reasons, I'll give you the top three and there'll be a link uh, for resources in the show notes for you to go check out that blog if you want to read further into it. But the number one thing is negatively impacting your mental and physical health. So for me personally, this is some this is a journey I experienced firsthand. I was in a toxic culture, work environment, very cutthroat, had my boss calling me every other week saying, listen, if we don't meet these numbers and these goals, something is going to have to happen. Now, he was never very specific about that something, but it didn't feel warm and fuzzy. It didn't feel like I was going to come out a winner on the other end of that conversation if we didn't meet those goals. So I always felt like my job was being threatened, and a lot of those goals were completely out of my control. So I just was completely overwhelmed. I led regional teams in the healthcare industry, so 200-plus people reporting to me in some type of capacity, a ton of stress and anxiety. I literally developed a very unhealthy disdain for Mondays, but I also developed a really serious medical condition. I literally almost went into organ failure. So when I visited my doctors and they're like, what in the world is going on? I was hospitalized on a trip. And when I got back and could see my regular doctor, he just said, at your age, you should not be having these issues with organs. And it's stress-induced, completely stress-induced. You need to do something different. So the first one is 
mental and physical health. I was being affected in big ways, literally that I almost lost an organ over it. Totally not worth it. I can tell you, you cannot, no matter what your compensation is, you can't go out and buy yourself a new bladder. I know I checked into it. It is not worth it. So that's the number one thing. If it's impacting you negatively in any capacity, mentally or physically, nothing is worth that. Nothing. Because you cannot buy your health. You cannot buy your mental or physical health. The second thing is you're just not happy. (laughs) And I know a lot of people say, well, that's kind of lame. I mean, nobody's really happy in their job. Really? We need to change that conversation. You deserve to be happy. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean every second of the day you're going to love everything you do. Even in my own business, I don't love everything that I do. But the majority of the things that I do, I really love. The flexibility that I have to outsource or delegate to team members the things that I don't love is something that I have full control over. Sometimes you don't have that in your corporate or nine-to-five job. So if you're not happy, it matters. Don't undercut or sell yourself short that, well, we're not supposed to be happy in our jobs because that's just a lie. You don't have to be happy in everything you do, but you should have a level of happiness where you feel like you're doing meaningful work. You're working with really good people. The company's aligning with your morals, ethics, and values. You're really serving in big ways. So happiness really matters. And if that's one of the things that you're lacking, I would say take a really strong look at it because that is a valid reason for leaving your job. And then the third one is obviously just company culture is really toxic because this leads back to one and two, right? Negatively impacting your mental and physical health. And then you're just not happy or dreading going to work. Typically, it aligns well with toxic corporate culture. And while this is not really easily resolved because sometimes in leadership positions, it's just not widely recognized. And then sometimes it's just swept under the rug. This can take a really long time to resolve. And so if you don't see it going in any place productive, I would highly suggest moving to higher ground. But making sure that you really do your due diligence in the future with your next position, that you're not entering another toxic situation. Also, here's a cautionary tale. Don't jump ship out of desperation. So don't leave one bad situation for another bad situation, because I promise you this, when you're in a position and you think it can't possibly get any worse, trust me, it can get worse. Been there, done that, totally regretted it. Going back to what you said about like, for you, you moved up the company and you were doing more work and you said you end up getting more health issues. It seems that the notion is like, you do good work, you get promoted, but then when you get promoted, yes, you get more money, but you get more responsibilities. And then over time, it seems like the higher you go up a company, the more stress you have and the more unhappy you are. Can you elaborate on why is this usually the case? Sure. So my goal for success was title and compensation driven. So I'm a self-proclaimed leadership nerd. I love leadership, any type of leadership. I love talking about it. I love engaging in it. And I absolutely love leading my teams. That was one of the very things that I enjoyed in my job. But I thought, you know, like like so many people are told, you know, the titles and going up the ladder is where you want to be. You want that corner office with the best views. And so that's what I was working towards. But more money, more problems. I mean, you're given more responsibility. So any company that's investing a lot of money into multiple six figures, they feel like they have a license to just work you to any capacity necessary in order to accomplish their goals. 
look, businesses are in the the area of business to make money. Every single business needs to make money to stay alive. I don't care who you are. You have to have a revenue to keep going and living another day. So that is a driving factor. Numbers can be a very high driving factor. And to accomplish those goals, they use their army and their army towards the top, senior leadership positions, VP, executive directors, the C-suite, they're always delegating down. And so that trickle effect really happens. And the goals aren't always fully achievable, They, but it's just more stress. I think for in my situation, the more I grew up the corporate ladder, I was given more money. And so that was just their justification to work me like a dog. <laughs> It's also harder to say no when you get more money, right? Because again, right. If they gave you like 150, 200K and they want you to do something at 8 p.m. Like you, you don't want to say no because they're paying you so much and then you're afraid to say no because it might, you might get reprimanded later. So it's all that, it becomes more fear-based once you make more money, right? Absolutely. And listen, when you're promoted and you're given this opportunity, first of all, we think it's given. It's not. It's earned. If you're if you've been promoted into a position, you have to go and think knowing that you bring value proposition that's valuable, that they're investing in you, that they want to see more out of you, and they're giving you this new role because they believe in you. However, we always look at it as it was given to us, so now we have to earn it. We have to prove to them that they didn't make this colossal mistake in putting us in these positions. And so we're willing to work 14, 16 hours to prove to ourselves, and we always tell ourselves the same lie, right? Oh, this is just a new position. I've really got to go in and show them what I've got and what I'm capable of. But after I get through that 30, 60, 90-day period and they really see that they did not make a mistake and I was the right choice, I'll pull back. And guess what? That pullback, it never happens. You just get accustomed to working the 14, 16 hour days. They see that you're willing to put in those kind of hours and that kind of work. And so they they just keep giving it to you and you just keep taking it. With all that being said, how would someone craft their exit strategy? That's a good question. So the first thing I want to say is this. Here's a truth bomb, okay? You don't need a reason, permission, or validation to leave a job. So the fact that you're asking yourself the question of whether or not you should be looking for another job or leaving or explore other opportunities, that in itself is reason enough. And listen, just because you start looking for other jobs doesn't mean you, you're going to absolutely leave your current position in any time soon or ever. My philosophy is you should always be open to new opportunities. No matter where you are in your career, whether you love your company or not, you should always be open to opportunities, at least hearing them out. Because opportunity doesn't come knocking very often. You don't want to miss out just because you're in a good space at that time. You never know when the universe is going to reward you for your hard work. It may totally blindside you and it may be the best thing that ever happened to you that you just didn't see coming. So the fact that you're asking yourself that is reason enough to start exploring. So looking into an exit strategy, crafting your exit strategy, the first thing you want to do is you want to clearly define what's next. What do you love where you're currently at in your career? What have you accomplished you're really proud of that you want to do more of? What is your magic, your secret sauce? What do you bring to the table that nobody else does that you want to do more of and engage more in? But you also need to identify what you don't like. What in your next role or career transition or industry are you looking to totally ditch and leave behind? It's just not you. You don't want to do it. It's 
just a non-negotiable. So you have to get that career clarity. What I find my clients struggle the most is they just don't know which way to go. They just don't know how to get career clarity. Like I have 30, 40, 50 year olds saying, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Here's the first thing. Your ultimate goal should always be happiness. I think when we ask little kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think we're making that mistake. We should always lead them to the ultimate goal. You want to be happy. And that's totally an inside job and you have complete control over that. So instead of thinking of titles or industries, what brings you happiness? You need to clearly define that. And I'll provide another resource to your audience, Max. It's called a clear career clarity exercise. Don't let it scare you. It's not tons of pages. It's only a couple of pages, but it's this brainstorming activity that asks you really pointed questions. And it's really based on this top of the mountain mindset that I have. You're climbing the mountain as you go through your career and your life. What does your top of the mountain look like? Start at the very top. And the view is going to change over time. It doesn't mean it's set in stone. But what today does your top of the mountain look like? Where do you want to be? What legacy are you leaving behind? Who's at your retirement party? And where is your retirement party? Hello, mine is on a yacht in the Caribbean somewhere with my fabulous friends. And everybody is talking about all the great work I've done and how I've totally inspired and motivated them. So Think about that, and it walks you through different steps. It helps you also identify what you want to do next and what your non-negotiables are. If you do nothing else after listening to this podcast, really identify what your non-negotiables are. Maybe you don't know what you want to do next, but you need to absolutely hone in on what you don't want to do next for sure, and that eventually will lead you to where you want to be. The next thing you need to do is set a date. Set a date hard date set in stone. When I was planning my exit strategy, I gave myself a year, one year. And on August 17th, I was going to go in and give my resignation. And I was leaving the healthcare industry forever, never looking back. And I was going to start my own consulting business. I am not a big risk taker. So I started my business the year prior. So this was in 2018. And I was going to give my resignation August 17th, 2019. And I was planning my exit strategy. By doing that, I started doing freelance work. I started taking on some clients. I built an LLC. And I put really strong strategy in place, and I worked it every single day. I went and I gave speeches. I volunteered. I took on clients. I did all the things, developed a website, got my business cards, and really wanted to see if I could make a go of this. And I worked that strategy hard every single day. But in order to do that, I had to dig deep and analyze my finances and start making serious moves. So maybe you're going to have to forego Starbucks or eating out lunch every single day. Maybe you need to look at ways that you can downsize your bills, eliminating cable, shopping at different thrift stores, um, shopping around insurance premiums, looking at your return on your investments. Can you move those puppies around and get a higher return on your investments and, and earn more money? I took on a side hustle and did freelance work. And I definitely got my resume in order because although I really wanted to go in for, to business for myself, 
I knew that I was just a no-name person, and a lot of people wanted to see what my value proposition was. And the best way to fully explain that and have them see that was on my resume. So I provided my resume to my freelance clients in the beginning. And then the last thing I would suggest is network, network, network. Whether you love it, whether you hate it, you got to do it. So network to the highest power. And make sure that you are talking to someone that you can trust every single day or you have a mentor, find a mentor and meet with them on a regular basis, but have somebody that you can talk to every single day that you can trust that when you get to those low points of what am I doing? Is this too crazy? Is this achievable? And all of the imposter syndrome that takes place, talk to them about it. Like have somebody in your corner rooting you on, cheering you on to the finish line. I will tell you this. I planned my exit strategy to take place August 17th, 2019. On July 17th, 2019, I was brought into one of my practices and I was given a severance package and told that I was no longer a good fit. So I knew that was coming down the pike because a lot of the senior leadership was being reorganized and revamped. So I wasn't really blindsided. Plus, I had been working my exit strategy and I was only a month out from giving my resignation. But I got a severance package of which was not part of my exit strategy that I never, ever considered. And that severance package took me to the, through the rest of the year. So from July to January of 2020, I had my salary coming still coming in. And that helped me launch my business and be even more successful. So I want you to remember that while you put an exit strategy in place, don't be attached to the outcome. Be open to opportunities that may come that you may not see and may not be able to account for. Be open to opportunities that this is your exit strategy, but something bigger and better could happen and you're totally open and ready for it. I think when you're trying to make your next move, like you said, career clarity is very important because like I know professionals and you probably know professionals as well. Like they job hop like every few years because I, I guess they're trying to chase something that doesn't exist and they don't <laughs> yes. have that career clarity. So they end up just like jumping from job to job. Uh, do you think that's fairly accurate of what's going on when you see someone like sticking to a job for a few years and going to do something else and then something else after? I do. Here's the thing. I What I see most when, cl- when clients do that is one, they do have an idea of what they want, but they're leaving on in desperate situations. So if you're leaving because things don't align or you're not happy or you want to do something else, that is one thing. But running away and escaping something is another. So hopping to the very next thing, the very next opportunity that presents itself is never a good idea. Because when you take one desperate move, from one situation, then you can find yourself in another desperate situation. And that is just a rabbit hole that is never ending. So what I highly suggest is stop putting the key to your happiness in somebody else's pocket. Just because someone offers you a job doesn't mean you have to take it. Taking the first job at the gate, maybe that is the best move for you, but not always. Make sure you're doing your homework. Just because somebody brings you in for an interview touts you up and says they're going to give you a job offer doesn't mean you just take that because you're just so stuck in a rut or overwhelmed or anxiety and terrible things are happening at your current position and you just want out at any cost. 
Because if you want out at any cost, you'll make the wrong move. Make sure this next move, this next leap is where you want to be. Maybe not forever. You don't have to look at every job as your is where you're going to retire. That's fine. But is it getting you to where you really want to be? Is it getting you closer to your top of the mountain? Or are you just moving in total desperation to escape one bad situation and possibly risking trading it for another? Yeah, absolutely. Because again, they see a job offer and they take it. So how does one evaluate a job offer that this is a good fit for me compared to I just got to get out of my current job? So I think the first thing is when you have clarity on what your non-negotiables are, then you have some groundwork as to what you're going to accept and what you're not going to accept. So when you know clearly define what your non-negotiables are and you stick to those, then you're not compromising. You're not trying to make the job fit for you. It has to work for you. You don't have to fit for the job. It has to fit and work for you. It's a two-way street. So it's absolutely crucial for you to ask conversations. The interview process is a two-way street. They are interviewing you to see if you're a good fit for them, and you also need to be interviewing them to see if they're a good fit for you. Ask them, how would you define the culture of this organization? And ask several people that same question independently. See what the answers are. Is it like the corporate, you know, the corporate narrative that everyone is taught to say, oh, we're a family environment and all of these things? Or have people say, yeah, there's some toxic negative people here, but you'll figure out who those are. For the most part, we all really get along. We are here to serve people. We do good work. Our mission and value is really excellent. All of those things. Do your research, ask questions, dig deep, understand what your non-negotiables are, and More importantly, know your value proposition. Everybody has a value proposition. Every business has a value proposition. That's what defines them. That's what makes them unique. That's what sets them apart. People have value propositions as well. And when you understand what you bring to the table, you won't be so willing to accept less. What's your take on the difference between, like we we said that you should never run away from your problems and just get another job because you want to get out of a, a dire situation. Do you recommend trying to work with your current manager to see if there is a compromise or you think that like once you checked out that there's no point in trying to work with them? I'm always an advocate for having conversation with people. As someone who was in a senior leadership position who led regional teams, and my region was located in multiple states, so I wasn't in every single health medical practice every single day. I was in different states and different regions. I could never possibly know what the ins and out of every office and structure and culture in that particular office was. But I did try to have an overarching pulse on what the culture of the region was, and I did my best to lead that in a positive way. I know many times I'd come into a practice who had a manager, and that manager was a direct report to me, and I would have employees pull me aside and talk to me about some of the things that were going on that they were not happy about, or it was a concern and they wanted to make me aware. I was always thankful for those conversations. And I made that very clear. I created a safe space where people felt like they could come and talk to me. My door was always open. Several modes of communication were open to them to reach out to me, even if it if I wasn't face-to-face in the practice. And I was always so grateful. There was no way I could know everything that was happening at any given time. So I 
appreciated the fact that they gave me the benefit of the doubt that maybe I didn't know what was going on and they took the initiative to come and talk to me, fill me in about it. And then from there, I could move forward in addressing the issues or conducting intense investigations to make sure that allegations or issues that were being brought to my attention were absolutely correct. If it wasn't just this person's viewpoint or, you know, something that happened maybe once and it was just an error, but really getting, initiating that conversation and getting it going. So I always say, give them the benefit of the doubt. They may not be aware. And although you may think they're aware, they truly may not be. So as a senior leader, I always appreciated that. But if you feel like your manager, if your boss is a bully (laughs) and you think there might be the propensity for retaliation or put you in a worse spot or create a bad situation, and there's just no trust there for you to communicate with them, there's you know, human resources. And I know in a lot of companies, human resources really works more for the company than the employees, which is not how it's supposed to be. But unfortunately, there are times that happens. You could always reach out to human resources and ask them to, one, be a part of the conversation with your manager, just as a you know, person that's there and a mediator, somebody that is witnessing the conversation and can be just a third party present. Or you can go to human resources and let them know what your issues are, what the challenges are, the fact that you don't feel comfortable in talking to your leadership and, you know, going from there and seeing what happens. The thing is, I would go in with facts. Anytime you approach a crucial conversation, which is just a conversation that needs to happen, you need to bring facts. Try to it's very hard. That's why I say try. Try to remove the emotional aspect of it. Come in with facts, dates, specific incidences, and bring that forward to the table. When you come in in high emotion, several times I've had senior leaders come to me and just say, well, they were just really emotional and I I just think they'll calm down later and it won't be a thing. And they end up taking zero action because the conversation was driven on emotion. So come in with your facts, be professional, Don't throw around accusations, just stay professional, stay calm, state the facts, state the issue, the challenges, how it's impacting you. And then I would, at the end, ask, what are the next steps? What can I expect to happen from here? Will you be following up in communication with me? Sometimes they won't be able to obviously disclose what is going to happen next, but they should be able to say, well, we'll have a conversation. We'll look into it and just ask them, when is a a date that I can follow up with you to, to see where we're at in this? Set some expectations. It's okay for you to take the lead on that. You have a problem, you have a challenge, and your expectation is that it's going to be addressed in some capacity. And here's the thing. If it's not addressed, then you know what you need to do next. You know that your company is not invested in what you bring to the table enough to address your challenges and concerns. The other thing is if you don't feel like reach if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to HR or your leader, a lot of companies have the third party anonymous tip line hotline that goes to a third party company and you can present your challenge anonymously. 
the only issue here is that you won't really know what happens because it's anonymous. They don't know who to follow up on. They don't always, you know, sometimes look into that with a validity. But I know with my companies, when they were private equity backed, it went to our board of directors. And so every single anonymous call had to be followed up on. And then they wanted a detailed report as to what the actions were taken and where they landed for resolution. So they they took that pretty seriously. All right. So let's say you did do this and realized that, okay, this is not working out. It's time to go. And you end up getting a job offer somewhere else. You present this to your current manager and they end up giving you a counter offer. What's your opinion on it? Should you take it? Or since you've checked it already, it's time to move on. Yeah. So this is really going to vary. Um, I get this question a lot. People, this is going to really vary, but here's some things that I would say you, how you can approach the situation individually and personally to get to the best answer. And that would be the first thing I would ask is, does this truly resolve the problem? If you're having an issue with a manager who's bullying you and is just mean and nasty and making your life terrible every single day, and the answer to the company to keep you is just more money, is that really resolving the issue? I mean, it's great to get more money, but you're still going to have to report to that bullying boss and be miserable every single day. Can your happiness be bought? Is there a price tag that says, hey, if you give me X amount of dollars, I'll let you bully me all day long? Hey, listen, no judgment. That's just a question for you to ask. And I mean, if we're going down that path, exactly what is that number if there is such a number? So the first and foremost, no matter what you're presented in any capacity, does this truly resolve the problem? And then number two, are there other factors remaining that there's an issue? So saying, okay, I have a bullying boss. You don't have to report to that person anymore. We'll realign your leadership. We'll put in a different reporting structure and you can report to somebody else. But then there's other factors. There's other internal departmental factors. You're underpaid. That's a factor. Are there other things that are outstanding that still are challenges for you that this one resolution is not going to take you to that goal line of happiness and really resolve all of your issues enough for you to want to stay in that position. And listen, at the end of the day, if you take what's being offered to you, you need to ask yourself, are you compromising? Are you trying to band-aid a bullet hole here? So is something they're giving you like, oh, we'll just, you know, throw some more money at you, throw some more paid time off, you know, and then that should get, you know, if you have like a terrible work-life balance, you're working 14 hours a day and they say, okay, fine, we'll give you more paid time off. Is that really the issue or is the issue your workload that you're just, even if you're given more paid time off, that's just going to be a struggle because your workload's going to continue. But so what? You have more days off. You're not going to really be able to take those days because your workload is still too much. So if you band-aid a bullet hole, just know this, it's still a slow bleed. And why did it take so long for them to get a response with a threat of you leaving? So take a look at it and, you know, take it, take a look at it really deeply. And if anything else, just keep looking. But even if you agree to stay, here is what I say as caution. Do not sign a retention agreement. So a retention agreement, sometimes they'll say, well, we'll give you all of these things. We'll negotiate a new employment contract for you, but we want you to commit to staying for the next two years. 
And so that I would say a hard no, because if you sign that, just know for the next two years, you're on the hook with them or else there's going to be severe ramifications, possibly paying back money or doing some other things, non-compete. You can't work for somebody within a 10 mile radius. Whatever those ramifications are, you need to be well aware of that. And I always say you really need to think long and hard about signing a a retention agreement because you're really on the hook and they could really, (laughs) that could leave the door open for a lot of torture. And I would definitely, if you do take a counter offer, clearly have it defined in writing and with all of the dates and so that you're avoiding any empty or false promises from taking place. If they say, oh, we'll give you a raise in the next 30 days and then you stay on for 30 days and you miss your wonderful opportunity to go somewhere else and 30 days come and you don't get a raise, you know, then you're fighting an uphill hill battle. And then the last thing is you can just decline. You can just decline and move on and wish them well. So I want to take a step back. Uh, so before you get your job offer and your next opportunity, you obviously have to craft an extra strategy and then actually implement it. But how do you do that while you are mentally checked out of your current job? Because again, like when you mentally check out, your performance is not going to be there. You're, like, you're going to miss things. So like, how does one like balance that? Oh, that is so tough. And there are just no real clear cut answers because everybody is so different. But I can tell you from a personal perspective, when I was mentally checked out, I knew I was not giving my teams the best of me. And I felt so guilty because I really loved my teams, but I just couldn't muster it. It was just so hard. And while I really tried to show up in my very best every single day for them, it was really tough. The funny thing is, is that they didn't so much notice because they just thought I was a top performer and that's just what that looked like. And So I knew that I could do a lot better, but the 75% that I was giving them, they saw it as 100%. So sometimes you feel like you're not showing up at your best because you're so low and you know what you're capable of, but other people may not recognize it. So don't beat yourself up too much about it. I know you're having this mental internal struggle and it's really, really tough, but don't always just assume that everybody can see right through you because a lot of times they really can't. And Here's some things that I can tell you that I did that kind of worked for me. One, you you just keep pushing through and do the absolute best you can. I kind of looked at it as like a mental ninja challenge. So I just kind of looked at it like they have the that TV show, America's you know, top ninja or whatever, and they're doing this physical activity. I envisioned that in my mind, that my mind is going through all these intense activities that I just have to have this mental toughness to push through. That there and and this helps you realize that there is an end in sight. I mean, people who start the course know that there's an end in sight. They know that this this physical activity isn't going to go on forever. They just have to push through and keep working. And every single step that they take gets them closer to that end line. So tap into your competitive spirit and just like go deep and, and think of it as like this challenge that's going to make you stronger and there is an end game. It'll help keep you focused on your goal line and the day that you can actually resign. The next thing is start working in your industry. Is there any, the next industry, either the same industry, if you're not leaving that, or you're thinking about moving to a new industry, this is a great time. If you have the opportunity to do some freelance work, start in your next industry, start talking to people who reside in, reside in that industry and do some of the things that you are interested in doing. 
start meeting up with them, develop a mentor and meet with them regularly. And they'll help keep you in that mental toughness game. Talk to someone you trust. I talked to my mother (laughs) on my way to work almost every single day because I was just so uh, exhausted and anxiety ridden. And I would say the same things over and over. I would tell her my exit strategy almost every single day. And she never got tired of hearing it. And she would always say, yep, that's what's going to happen. We can't wait. What's going to happen? You're going to get there. Keep going. I consumed a lot of positivity, stories of hope and podcasts and mental toughness, things where people have struggled and they got to their goal and reached their success and got through it. It was like very inspirational, very motivational. And the last thing is, if none of that works... Sit down and watch a lot of true crime stories. (laughs) Just totally remove yourself, whatever it is for you. I love a good true crime story, but I also love a good Hallmark Channel movie. I don't know what that says about my personality. It's a love murder kind of thing, but I would just lose myself and try to remove myself from this situation as much as possible. I would schedule self-care and fun and just do things that totally took me out of that area of anxiety and stress so that I could rejuvenate and recalibrate and get ready for the next time that I had to go into my miserable job on Monday. So you make a good point about how you might be doing 75% effort, but a lot of people might not be aware of that at your current work, right? But how do you not raise red flags? Because like you're going to have to start doing interviews to, to yes. get these jobs. Obviously right now it's, it's okay because th- there's Zoom, right? So you just book an hour time. But like prior to like pre-COVID, you had to go to the office of these companies to interview. So if you're starting to get a lot of them as well as like networking, uh, networking calls, it, it, it does get to be a bit distracting and your current employer might start seeing those things. So how do you not raise flags at your current employer that you're currently looking? Yeah. So first of all, never show your hand. Absolutely never show your hand. And your best friend at work, do not tell them. Because I have seen that be a fallout. You can't see the forest through the, through the trees sometimes. And you think, oh, no, not Sally. She's never going to dime me out. We're work best friends. Well, guess what? Your work best friends. That may not transition to personal best friends or you never know what Sally has going on or whose ear she has. It is never a good idea to show your hand. So keep that away from work. You know, find a mentor, trust somebody outside, have those conversations, but never bring it to work. And it really is. But the more you focus on trying to hide something, the more obvious you become about it. Like I said, you may not be showing up in your highest power, but other people may not recognize that. And if they're not saying anything to you, if you're if your senior leadership isn't coming to you and saying, hey, listen, Max, like I see that you're kind of underperforming these past couple months. What is going on? Well, then you know that you need to make a shift and make some changes and show up even stronger so that you're not raising red flags. But Interviewing used to be tough. Looking for a job, it was really hard to keep that undercover when you were coming into the office Monday through Friday, working, you know, nine to 12 hours every single week. And a lot of things have shifted so true. There's phone interviews. Typically, the first interview is just a phone interview, whereas before we used to actually go in for the first interview and it was just very time consuming. 
Now people utilize phone interviews, video interviews right off the bat before they even bring you in for in-person interviews. It saves you time. It saves them time. And so that is something that if they don't offer that right off the bat, then ask them, hey, can this first interview be by you know telephone or Zoom conference, something like that, just to make sure that we're a good fit and on the same track? Ask those questions. Don't be afraid. And, and, and a lot of times people won't ask for flexibility from the hiring officials because they automatically think, well, geez, if I ask them for a telephone interview and that's not something they were offering right off the bat, they may not consider consider me as a candidate going forward. Okay, good. That's a red flag. That is you dodged a bullet, my friend. And that is not a company you want to work for. If they're inflexible right off the bat about how you interview, chances are they're going to be inflexible with other things that matter down the line. And that is probably not where you want to make your next move. So identify those red flags, take that redirection, and do something else with it. But calculate your paid time off. Really understand, first and foremost, how much paid time off you have so that you can use it wisely. If you're taking a three-week vacation and you're going to have interviews coming up, but you're going to need to use your, your paid time off for that, your PTO, you may want to pull back a week so that you can reserve some of that and not have questions posed. You want to be honest. Just say, I'm currently in a position and I need to conduct interviews before or after working hours or during my lunch hours. Be honest and upfront because any hiring official, I know when I was interviewing people for different positions, how they were treating their current employer on their way out really clearly identified to me how they would be treating me if I was their employer and they decided to leave my company. So if it was a, oh, I don't have to give a two-week notice, they totally have sucked the life out of me and I will I will completely resign on a Wednesday and I can start for you on a Thursday. Eh, I don't know if that's somebody that I really want to bring onto my team. So how you treat your current employer is how is the impression you're giving to the current person that's interviewing you. So just be honest. Say, you know, I have a meeting that day. I can't make it. Do you have any other flexibility, evening hours? I don't really want to interview when I'm at my place of employment on a Zoom call. So just so you know, I'm going to be attending this from my car, from a park, from Starbucks, whatever, and just give them that heads up. They should appreciate it. And if they don't, be aware of that red flag. What's your take on quitting a job cold turkey? Like it, it's always, it's always not recommended for like career coaches or recruiters. <laughs> right. and all those people saying that it's easier to find a job when you already have one compared to like not having one, right? Because then the longer your work gap is, the harder it is to get people to like call you back, right? Yes. So with the pandemic, so much has changed. Of course, you definitely want to have a job to go to before you leave your job. But under, because you need to understand the job market, it, it's competitive and it can definitely be a long game. Not always, but it really can be a long game. Hiring officials can be gun shy these days because they've had a lot of people resign. The great resignation that you mentioned, you know, at the top of this podcast, Max, it is happening. So they want to make sure that they are, sometimes some of them are making candidates jump through even more and more hoops to identify that they're really hiring the right person that's really going to stay because recruiting is expensive. It is one of the top negative impact to the bottom line of any company because there's it, it costs a lot of money and it's just a lot of time and it's very taxing on various departments. So there's a lot of hoops that they have increased in jumping through. So understanding can be the long game. The Here's the thing. 
COVID gave hall passes for job gaps. So before when we would see a gap in employment, it would be a red flag. We would look, we would ask the question. That's one of the first thing that jumps out is, hey, why, what is this gap in, in your resume? And we, we really expected a really solid explanation. You know, maybe you had to take medical leave for a family member or, you know, different things happened. But really what they were trying to identify is, did you get fired and you just can't find another job and like everyone's avoiding you for the plague and maybe I should too? These are the things that we're asking ourselves when we see these gaps. But COVID gave us a hall pass for gaps because so many people left their jobs because of COVID, due to COVID, they were laid off. They were never called back. They were laid off, but they didn't feel comfortable coming back. And so the gap in employment between this COVID time is not really so scrutinized as it was before. So understand that it may not be that negative of an impact, but here's what you don't want to do. And I have a client that recently did this. She was given a severance package and she left and she didn't start looking for a job until her severance was close to running out. And now she's hot-tailing it to try to get in to the job market and get her resume done and her interviewing skills because she'd been at this company for a really long time, like almost two decades. And so she's scrambling. Don't wait until the very end because it can be a long game. And there's a lot of things to navigate. You definitely want to set yourself up for success. And you don't want, again, put yourself in that position to take the first job that comes along. And I understand sometimes you just need a break. Some people are like, I just need a break. I need a month, two to myself. This has been really, I have health problems. Um, I'm just drained mentally and I just need time off. I'm not going to show up as my best self for this next position. And I, I just need a breather. I understand that. Make sure you have a solid plan B in place that doesn't include moving back into your mom's basement or some type of couch surfing situation. Make sure you have a plan B. Can you afford it? What do your finances look like? How are you going to explain that gap and how are you going to best position yourself for your next opportunity? And I think having a solid plan and strategy in that way, but also knowing that it could be a risk. There is a little bit of risk involved, but knowing that COVID really did provide a hall pass on that. And with that being said, what are some final tips that you can provide for job seekers uh, looking to make a change in Q4? So first and foremost, you just got to understand what you want in your next opportunity. What what does success look for, like for you? Everyone's version of success is individually defined. And, and I mean that wholeheartedly. I hear so often, well, success is supposed to be. No, not supposed to. What is it for you? Don't allow somebody else's vision for what you should be doing or what success looks like dictate what it actually is for you. So what does success look like for you? Is it, you know, financial freedom? Is it time freedom? What does it look like? You know, you're not location dependent. Is it working online? Is it working in person? Is it a mixture of both? Really understand what you want for yourself and hone in and identify. Listen, know that that's going to change. Okay. If you're 20, 30, 40, Heck, if you're even 50, it's going to change. What you decide what you want today may not be what you want in the next five years. If the pandemic taught us nothing else, it taught us that we can really shift in big ways. And so just know that it can change and that's okay. But you can't predict the future. You only have what's in front of you. So what matters today? Understand what that is. Get 
totally clear. Use the resource being provided to you in this podcast and get really, really clear on it. Identify what your top of the mountain is. And then really understand that, you know, your ultimate goal in life, it really should be happiness. Nothing else matters. And happiness is an inside job that you have complete control over. Don't take a job just because someone offers it to you. Don't leave, consider leaving a job because everybody else around you is miserable. Like, don't feed into that. If you're happier, hey, this is okay for now. I'm cool with staying here. But your colleagues are like, oh my gosh, no, it totally sucks. What are you thinking? We've got to leave. It's toxic. Like, don't go down that rabbit hole with them. Because where they're going and where you're going, maybe two totally different directions. So don't allow somebody else to pull you by the hand into something that, that you're not willing to do. You'll know when it's right for you. And listen, you should always be open to opportunities. I don't care what you're doing or where you're at. You could be a rock star at your job, just belting it out left, right, and center and winning every single kind of award. But you should always be open. If someone comes and says, hey, I have this great opportunity, you're willing to hear it out? Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. You should always be open to opportunities. So whether you're happy or not, don't wait until it's just totally miserable and you have some terrible medical condition to start hearing about other opportunities. You never know what's waiting for you. But get really clear, don't compromise in any capacity. Don't make a job fit, you know, don't make you fit for the job. Make the job fit for you. And just get really clear on where you want to go next and know your value proposition, know what you bring to the table and never be willing to accept less. Great. And I want to end this podcast with one last question for you. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges to further excel in their career. So what was one big career challenge that you had to face? I, I know you touched upon this before, but maybe there's, there's something else that you could elaborate on. Uh, so what career challenge that you have faced, like a big one, and what steps do you take to overcome it to get to where you are today? Oh, that's such a great question, Max. So I've changed careers a couple of times in my life. I first started out as a teacher and I quickly realized one day when I literally cried over one of my students not having a green crayon. She cried over not having a green crayon. I started crying with her that this was probably not the best place for me. And so I took a step back and I took a job in a medical practice and I worked my way up into leadership and I went back to school and got a four-year degree in in healthcare. And then I went and got my MBA later and I I had all these goals and I, I made a lot of shifts and I changed a lot of directions. But probably the biggest thing that I'm not a risk taker by any means. I like to know what's in front of me. I like to know all of the pitfalls and all of the things that could go wrong, but yet all of the things that can go right too. I want to see it all big picture. I am not a risk taker by nature. So leaving an industry that I knew well, that I had been in since my early 20s, which was healthcare, terminology, patients, analytics, all of that stuff, leaving operations in that capacity, and a very steady multiple six-figure income was really, really scary, making that transition. But I just knew that I was meant for more. I knew that my purpose was out there and it wasn't being fully served where I was at. I was miserable in my job. It was really sucking the life out of me through, through health issues. And I knew that I couldn't really go on in that capacity. I knew I could take a step back. I, I could leave upper management and, and go to middle management and, and run a practice in my sleep. I was good at that. That would have been less stress. But again, not really serving my purpose. And also that just wasn't my passion. So I took a risk 
Now, that wasn't to say I just left my job and started my own business. No, no, no. I said earlier on, I had an exit strategy. And when I say that, it was a multiple checklist. Every single day, I created habits that moved the needle forward on my exit strategy. I checked email at a certain time. I responded to emails at a certain time. I planned, you know, I freelanced, I brought in clients that I could handle. I didn't take on too much like starting programs, but I started speaking engagements, which I never did outside of my, you know, leadership development trainings that I did for my own, my own employees. I leaned into discomfort and tried new things and really put myself out there. I had to do that all undercover. If my job knew that I was starting my own company, they would have totally let me go before. So that was extremely stressful. But I took that on because I needed some validation that I was my next move was the right move. So I think it's really important to know that for me, it's just risk. Um, leaning into discomfort, taking a risk, and ultimately betting on myself. You know, when it came down to it, I thought, well, I'm not a risk taker. But if I did have to take a risk on one person in my life, who would that person be? And let me tell you, if it's not you, if the first answer is not you, you need to really figure out why that is. And my first answer was me. Because I obviously know what I'm capable of. If this gig doesn't work out, I know that I no one took my degree away. I can still go back. I can get a job and go back to corporate. But I totally stormed the island and burned the boats. Like there was no returning. I didn't have a plan B because I felt like that would just be a failure for plan A. I was all into my business. And I did whatever it took every single day to move the needle forward in my exit strategy so I can make it happen. Now, that's not to say it has been easy because it has not. And there's been times when I definitely have gone back to Indeed and been like, let me see what's out there. Maybe I need to go back. But the minute I read the job description, I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this. I close Indeed and I get back to working in my business. So bet on yourself. Know that you should be a sure bet in your life. I think that is one of the most rewarding things that I have figured out in my entire career. Again, I really appreciate you coming on today to discuss crafting an extra strategy to leave your current job. So how can people connect with you to learn more about what you do and how you can help? Yeah, so you can always go to my website, www.jhocutgroup.com. I'm everywhere on social media. There's not a lot of Hocuts. That's not a popular name. So you can find me, Jennifer Hocut. I'm on LinkedIn. J Hocut Group is on Facebook, all over the place. So connect with me. I would absolutely, I love meeting new people. I love networking. And I love being able to support people in any capacity whatsoever. And Max, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a blast. Again, appreciate your time and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, you too. A big thank you again to Jennifer for coming on the podcast to share her strategies and insights on identifying the signs of when you should leave your current job, as well as crafting a proper exit strategy so you can seamlessly move to the next job opportunity of your career. I know this is a very hot topic right now because of the great resignation and that it's the fall hiring season where there's a lot of openings from various companies trying to fill those positions before the year end and their budget closes. So again, thank you to Jennifer for coming on and sharing her insights. To listen to my insights and expertise on this topic, make sure to check out ChanCap this Friday on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. 
Again, this is Chan with the Plan the Podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening. <laughs>